Hi everyone, I'm Stephanie Bowne and welcome to The Culture Catalyst, a podcast for leaders to embed the systems that create high-performance teams. I'm obsessed with the collective capacity for all humans to come together in small groups and make a difference. As a performance coach and author, I bring together a potent mix of positive psychology, neuroscience and organisation dynamics to help modern leaders create workplaces where people thrive. Hello and welcome back to The Culture Catalyst and today we're going to talk about where culture often goes wrong. If you don't manage culture, culture manages you. You have a culture whether you're intentional about it or not. Your culture is either supporting your business objectives or it's not. Like a child who craves attention, it will play up in all sorts of ways that are exceptionally unhelpful. Culture goes wrong when One, we think it's something that HR does. Two, we don't hold leaders accountable. And three, we fail to fail. It's psychologically unsafe or we fail to create psychological safety where it's okay to make a mistake and learn. By far and most the most important of of these three is the last one. Dr. Amy Edmondson's research into psychological safety has shown this to be the number one critical factor in high-performing teams. To be high-performing, we need there to be a high degree of normalisation around feedback, around it's okay to learn, to make mistakes, to try things, to give each other feedback in ways that actually helps us succeed. We need psychological safety to have big goals and expectations because if we don't, what we create is environments of burnout people working over and above to try and achieve high goals and expectations, not sharing the problems, not sharing the issues, therefore not learning fast enough. Let's listen to an excerpt from my book on exactly this point, when we fail to fail. This reading is from Purpose, Passion and Performance by Stephanie Bowne. How systems for leadership, culture and strategy drive the three Ps of high-performing organisations. Professor Amy Edmondson is a Novartis Professor of Leadership at Harvard Business School and author of The Fearless Organisation. By far my favourite quote from her book is that failing to fail is a failure. Professor Edmondson demonstrates that in workplaces where it's safe to learn from mistakes, people experience high degrees of psychological safety. And this is a critical cultural factor determining whether leadership and strategy will ultimately impact performance. She says psychological safety is a culture in which people are comfortable expressing and being themselves. To thrive in the new age, growth will be driven by ideas, ingenuity and collaboration. Growth will be driven by speaking up. The problem that Professor Edmondson's research revealed is that people are holding back too often. They do this because of interpersonal risk. Where interpersonal risk is high, like in the toxic and defensive cultures mentioned back in Chapter 12. The risk of being admonished or blamed for a mistake or missed opportunity causes people to withhold crucial information. And this not only stifles both creativity and learning, but creates internal politics. Professor Edmondson discovered this quite by accident in her research into medical teams, when contrary to her expectations, she found that high-performing teams reported more mistakes such as errors on dosages or patient care procedures, then low-performing teams. Upon further investigation, she understood that high-performing teams did not actually make more mistakes than low-performing teams. 
the difference came down to the fact that high-performing teams felt safe to report the mistakes so that everyone had the opportunity to learn from them. In high-performing teams, psychological safety was the mitigating factor. Mistakes were seen as learning opportunities and not reasons to admonish, shame or blame. This accelerated performance for the whole group and enabled them to deliver better patient outcomes on a host of measures. In these teams, interpersonal risk is minimised and patient outcomes are put before personal safety. Most of the time we want to look smart, capable and helpful. We don't want to look ignorant, incompetent or disruptive by asking questions, admitting to mistakes, making suggestions or questioning a plan. But we must take these risks to create value. For our customers, our teams and ourselves, if we don't take risks, we don't learn. Psychological safety is like the fertile soil in a garden. Without it, no seeds will take root and grow. The Swiss team called mistakes, learning, growing and improving opportunities, or LGI moments. People were given permission to learn, and this made everyone more receptive to feedback and coaching. In high-performance cultures, leaders both destigmatize failure and learn how to positively respond to a failure. According to Professor Edmondson, because fear of reporting failure is such a key indicator of an environment with low levels of psychological safety, how leaders present the role of failure is essential. Hence, my new favourite catch cry, failing to fail is a failure. This reading was from Purpose, Passion and Performance, awarded top three leadership books in Australia in 2001. So if we want to overcome some of the ways that culture can go wrong, if we want to avoid thinking it's something HR does, not making leaders accountable for culture, not making it psychologically safe, there's two things I'd really like to talk about here. The first is how important it is to create psychological safety. And the second thing is who do we make responsible for culture? So let's delve into these two topics today. When there's no psychological safety in a team, there is no trust. Essentially what that means is that there's no capacity to deal with conflict. There's no opportunity for dissenting views because in the end what's going to happen is one person's view has to win over another. There's a debate or it's not okay to challenge. So if we can't have dissenting views, if we can't have different opinions, a place where all opinions are welcome, then it's not psychologically safe. What we want to do is open the sphere of sharing an opportunity up so that we have, we've increased the capacity for learning. So how do we do that? And this is something that I do every single time I walk into a workshop or a a team meeting or a setting with a leadership team. As a facilitator, creating an environment of safety and trust is number one. But these skills is some, are something that leaders anywhere can, t- can use in any team meeting or workshop or conversation you want to have with an employee or a team member. So here are some really simple tips to doing that. Start by setting the scene and reminding people why you're here, why they're here for the meeting. So talk about, I always have a slide that shares our objectives, our agenda, and how the day or the session will flow. That agenda that agenda is usually a one-page document. It's got the objectives on it. It's listed who's coming, times, topics, all the preparation requirements. All that stuff is sent to people the week before. So people know what they're walking into. But I again reiterate that at the start of the session. If I ever miss this step, 
I feel it later. People start wondering, why are we here? When are we going to talk about this topic? They try and cut across one another in a rush to get their stuff on the table. But if they know that there's a process we're going to follow and there's opportunity for all the discussions, everybody just relaxes and they go with the process. So start with your objectives, start with your agenda and talk about how the day will flow or the session or the meeting will flow. Then what I do is I invite input at the very beginning. So at that point, I'll ask everybody to share with me what their objectives are. What do they want to walk away from this session with or knowing or having clarity over? What's their objective? So if I've set an objective, that's fine. But what do they want out of the session? And I'll ask everybody to share what they want out of the session. And I'll flip chart all of those answers so that everybody can see what each other's saying. And we keep that as a bit of a social contract for the session. But I start by sharing first. So And I try and role model being a bit more vulnerable. So I'll take a little interpersonal risk here and I'll share an anxiety or a fear or a story about something silly I did to demonstrate a little bit of empathy and compassion for the room. And if I can be a little bit vulnerable at the start of the session, what what this does is open the space up for everybody else to share what's real and important for them unfiltered. So as people then go around and they share what their objectives for the session are, we list these and we listen And I acknowledge everything each person says and ensures that they all feel heard and they all feel they've had a chance to contribute to how this meeting or this session is going to flow. As I said, if we skip this step, it constrains sharing to only ever a surface level. People remain a little bit withheld. So what's important to do is establish psychological safety at the start of your session and you will see more openness, more sharing, more vulnerability, more willingness to share a viewpoint that others might not agree with because you've already opened up the space at the beginning of that session. So they're just really practical tips. If you watch any facilitator, professional facilitator, they'll do the same things. Give it a go and see how it changes the dynamic of the next uh, meeting or workshop that you facilitate. So the next part I want to talk about here when it comes to avoiding the problems and the pitfalls around when culture goes wrong is that we, we create accountability for culture. Culture is shared responsibility between the people and culture team, leaders, and everyone, everyone else, the whole team. The people and culture team are not responsible for culture. They are there to provide the tools and the systems and the policies and the references to culture. They enable leaders and leadership in the organization to pick up all of those tools and use them in the way that they deal with people. So it's not something HR does, it's something leadership does. And I use leadership in terms of the global term. It could be people with management responsibility. It could be leaders who lead a project or an initiative. Leadership is not tied to a role. Leadership is a choice that we make. So we all can choose to be accountable for culture when we're we're demonstrating leadership from our level. But leaders, leaders drive culture, right? Leaders are responsible for culture. Leaders drive, this is the human synergistics, leadership, culture, performance connection. Leaders drive culture, culture influences leadership and together those things determine performance. But our lever, our greatest lever for culture is how leaders lead, how they communicate, how they share objectives, how they empower, listen and create environments where psychological safety is a key, where everybody can share and be part of the system, the organisational system that we're building. So to really drive culture, we need to make leaders accountable for culture. What are some practical ways we can do this? If you'd like to participate in a free online learning event for CEOs, founders or people and culture executives, 
Go to my website, stephaniebound.com forward slash events for more information and to secure your spot. This year, we have a program of events on how to create alignment, transform culture or inspire high performance. I look forward to seeing you there. Now, here's the, the clincher on this one. Only promote leaders into management roles who have actually developed a skill in leading and managing people. Right, this is such an obvious one and, we, and I see this mistake again and again. People who are technically specialist promoted into management roles and leadership and management is a skill set in and of its own. If they haven't been trained in effective ways of leading, they're going off role models that they've had in the past and those role models could have been great or those role models could have been very ineffective in terms of leading. So develop the capability of people to lead teams and promote those people who show a proficiency and an energy and a strength for that particular skill set. So first of all, really only promote people who actually have a capacity and a capability for managing people. Make engagement a KPI. Now, this can be a bit of a controversial one, but if you've got somebody who's responsible for leading a team, that team's engagement is really in their hand. The Gallup research keeps reinforcing and telling us that managers have the greatest degree of variance on any individual's engagement in an organisation. It's 70% of the variance in engagement is determined by the relationship we have with our direct boss, our manager. So that manager is accountable for engagement. So why would we not put engagement of the team, the actual engagement measure, as a KPI for performance for leaders? I think that's one that we can definitely use more, more, help leaders understand that your performance is not just dependent on the financial results that you produce, it's also dependent on whether or not your team feel enabled, supported, and like they want to stick around. So make engagement a KPI. Where we run an engagement survey and we see that engagement is low in a particular part of the business, in a department or a team, work closely with the leader of that team to understand why and put a plan in place to change it. So this isn't about making engagement of a team punitive on a leader because that can create a whole host of other behaviours that aren't exactly very productive. What we want leaders to understand that if your, if your engagement of your team is suffering, we need to work on it. We need a plan for it. We need to be understanding the context and the reasons as to why that's happening. It could be a broader organisational systemic issue that the leader's trying to cope with. And so what we're going to do is work with the leaders to help them understand how to improve the engagement and the culture of their team. There's lots and lots of things leaders can do to support and enable their teams that they have a direct impact on. And so what we want to do is educate them as to how they can do that. But we need someone to be accountable for culture. And if you're a leader, then you are, essentially. The other thing we can do is conduct 360-degree feedback reviews on leaders to help them understand how they're perceived by others and how they can change their behaviours in a way that actually impact people around them in more positive and productive ways. So I keep saying the same message around culture, how important measurement is, but I also think it's important to help somebody, especially leaders, understand the impact they have. The way that they lead is the strongest lever of performance on culture, and what we need to do is help them take up that accountability a lot more than we already are systemically within our, our organisations at the moment. So build psychological safety, create environments where it's okay to have dissent, and make leaders accountable for culture, help them take accountability for culture by measuring and supporting and putting measures and markers and KPI and expectations into their role about how they create culture in their teams. 
Thanks for listening to The Culture Catalyst. If you've enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and feel free to leave a review. And if you want to connect, you can find me always on LinkedIn. So what will be your catalyst for change today? I'm Stephanie Bowne. See you next time on The Culture Catalyst.